Good morning, First Baptist Church. I want you to sing today with everything you've got, with urgency and vibrancy. How can I keep from singing? Let's stand and sing together. And.
give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We are glad that you chose to be with us here this Sunday morning. Whether you are here in the congregation or watching online, we are grateful that you chose to be a part of First Baptist Church worship service this morning. If you are a guest, if you would take out your worship guide, and at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to turn in your Connect card and meet our pastor and his wife out in the foyer area, and you will be able to receive a copy of um, Pastor Stewart's book, The Privilege of Worship. And we are grateful that you are here. You may see a few things up here that are not normally up here. We have two trees, um, and they, that's for our Adopt-A-Teacher program for Lessie Moore and Pineville Elementary School. At the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to come and pick up a name, sign out your, your teacher that you um, are adopting, and then throughout the year, pray for your teacher. Um, send them encouraging notes to them. You can do that here through the office, um, the church office, or you can send it directly to the school, um, and we can get you those addresses if you need that. But we look forward to a great year um, in our school system, here in our ministry year, and we are grateful that you are a part of that. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you that we can come and worship your name and praise your name this morning, Father. Lord, I thank you that you have are already here in our midst and in our presence, Lord God. We thank you for songs. We thank you for musical instruments. We thank you for the word that will be spoken today, Father. I pray that we all would listen with attentive hearts and minds, Father, and that we would obey the call to whatever it is that you would have us to do um, because of the message that we've heard today, Father. Lord, as we turn our eyes here in a few minutes to baptism, Lord, it's so exciting to see young ones and older ones come to know you and to profess you as Lord and Savior and to follow through with believers' baptism. God, may you inhabit our praises and our worship this morning. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church family, what an honor it is to be able to celebrate two baptisms this morning of those who are professing faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, we have coming first, Cooper Marques. Cooper, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Next, we have coming Gretchen Spear. Gretchen, upon your, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. God continues transforming lives here. Let's continue in worship celebrating all that Jesus continues to do in and among us as a church family. Oh. 
Though it's good to worship the Lord and celebrate who He is and all that He's done. And uh, before we give today, we wanted to just share with you a little testimony of what God did last week uh, because we gave. Uh, you'll remember we had the appeal from uh, Principal uh, Laurie Johnson over at Leslie Moore Elementary about some needs they had. And as a result of that, uh, you all gave $1,400 to meet that need over at Leslie Moore Elementary. And so let's give the Lord a hand for meeting that need through our church family. And then on about Tuesday or Wednesday, I got a, a contact from Louisiana College that there was a student who uh, was unable to uh, register because they owed some uh, money from the summer semester. They had to drop out of a class in the summer uh, due to their mother passing away, and that caused them to lose financial aid for the summer. So they were left with a big bill. They had plenty of financial aid for the fall and spring. They just couldn't register till they paid off that bill. I selected just a, a number of people from the church, sent out an email, and $3,000 came in in about two days. And so all of that, church, is over and above tithes and offerings. And that's a wonderful testimony to the generosity of our church. And as we continue to give through our tithes and offering, that's what helps support the ongoing ministries of our church. So thank you for your generosity, and I pray that the Lord will bless us as we give today. Brother Herschel, will you lead us in prayer, please, sir? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you for the many blessings of life. Father, this is such a giving church, and we thank you, Lord, for being with us, leading us, and guiding us in what we should do. Father, we just lift up our pastor. We thank you for what he does for this church. We just ask you to be with him, be with his family. And Father, we just ask you to keep the devil from his doors. Father, we thank you now for this time to give our offerings and tithes. We ask you now to bless this money to this use around this town and around the nation. Forgive us for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here I am to worship 
Beautiful guys, thank y'all so much. What a blessing just to be able to worship the Lord today and to seek his face. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, we are so grateful to be in your presence, to be in your house, to be able to gather around your word. Lord, in these moments, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd challenge us, that you'd help us to be obedient to your call upon our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Joshua Harris became an internationally prominent Christian when he published his first book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, back in 1997 when he was just 23 years old. And then last month, Harris announced on Instagram that he no longer considers himself a Christian. Just this past week, Christian songwriter Marty, Marty Sampson said he is genuinely losing his faith. Samson is the writer of some of our most popular Christian and worship songs today. The impact of these two men on Christianity and for the kingdom of God has been enormous. Uh, the pain of their personal struggles touches millions. And these two men were lifted up as men of God by millions of people, but they have come crashing down from their pedestals. And I pray that these men will get answers to the searching of their souls and that they will come back to the faith, but that will take some time. And in the meantime, we can debate the whys and pass the blame and hurl the criticisms. All of that's really easy to do. Just check the internet. But all of that really does little good. What will do some good is to talk about how to avoid what has happened to them. And that comes with seeking a genuine man of God as a role model. 
instead of rocketing talented individuals to Christian stardom and taking them as our example, we should look to God's Word for a time-tested example of a real man of God. And I believe we find that in Elijah. So if you haven't already, turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Kings chapter 1. Now this message today is for the boys and men in the congregation. After all, it's called man of God. But all of you girls and women can get something out of it as well. If nothing else, then you can help us guys become the kind of man that we're going to talk about today. So as we open the story, crisis has come to the kingdom of Israel and to King Ahaziah. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. After King Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Now King Ahaziah was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. Nothing significant is recorded about his brief two-year reign except that he was wicked, and that's recorded for us in 2 Chronicles, and that he had this accident in his residence. So I guess he has gone down in history as an accident-prone scoundrel. Exactly why this accident happened is not really disclosed. Perhaps he was furious over Moab's rebellion and was pitching a fit and fell. Perhaps he was drunk and fell. Or perhaps he was just careless and fell. Because whatever the case, Ahaziah fell through the lattice work from an upper story room. And you don't do that on purpose. Crashing to the ground below, he was seriously injured. We're not told what those injuries were like. Perhaps he injured his back. Perhaps he broke a leg. Perhaps he broke some ribs and punctured a lung. Or something more happened. But whatever happened, the resulting illness was so serious that King Ahaziah turned to his counselors and he wanted to know if he would live or die. When your body and soul are in torment, you turn to one of two directions. You either turn to God, or you turn away from God. Yesterday, I conducted two funerals. One of those was for Miss Flora Bennett, who was the 92-year-old mother of a, a lady from my hometown. And one evening recently in the nursing home, the night nurse noticed Miss Flora kind of struggling a little bit, and she asked her, Miss Flora, are you feeling sick again? And Miss Flora replied, don't worry about me. I have Jesus in my heart. In her time of torment and weakness, Miss Flora, even through Alzheimer's, turned to her God. Unfortunately, Ahaziah was not like Miss Flora. Instead of turning to God, he turned away from God. You see, Ahaziah needed a word from the God. But instead, he settled for a word from a God. Have you ever needed a word from God but you pursued something far inferior? 
Perhaps you sought the answer to your troubles from the gods of money or alcohol or sensuality only to find out that you were coming up short with no answers and still plenty of trouble, if not more. Uh, perhaps you sought answers from a horoscope or a medium, but you found out that though the answers seemed eerily connected to you, they were hollow and not at all life-giving. We're often tempted to turn from God and to something else. We're often tempted to turn away from the God and put a God in his place. And so I pray today that Ahaziah's fumble will help us seek a word from the God instead of settling for a word from a God. Ahaziah's God of choice was the God of Ekron, known as Baal Zebub. This was a God of the Philistines related to Baal, the God of Ahaziah's mom and dad, Ahab and Jezebel. The name of this God is interesting. Baal means Lord or God. And Zebub in the noun form is, refers to a fly, an insect. And so Baal Zebub means God of the fly. Now, we know little about this God. In fact, this is the only place in the entire Old Testament that it is even mentioned. But a similar name is mentioned in the New Testament. The God there is mentioned seven times in the Gospels, though with a slightly different name. The name Baalzebub in Hebrew becomes Beelzebub in Greek. In the Gospels, though, we find much more about this God. In Matthew 12, 24, for instance, this deity is identified as the prince of demons. Now, we don't know if Beelzebub refers to Satan himself or to a lesser demon that's in charge of other demons. But whatever the case, we can be certain that Beelzebub in the New Testament is a source of demonic power. And so when we connect the New Testament understanding of what Beelzebub is with the Old Testament name, God of the Fly, that suggests an association. Because God of the Fly suggests an association with disease-carrying, uh, misery-making, and torment. And the only, uh, further, the, the ancients connected this God with telling the future. And the only fortune-telling that happens or future-telling that happens in Scripture is either by a prophet of God or by a person influenced by a demon. And prophets bring people allegiance to the real God by predicting events. It's one of the things that you can tell a real prophet about. But fortune-tellers try to bring people into allegiance with Satan through their fortune-telling. That's very dangerous it's so dangerous that one scholar comments that this was the dreaded God of the dung heap. Satan doesn't just play dirty, he plays for keeps. And that's why the New Testament admonition is to flee from evil. Chuck Swindoll explains the danger of this and any false god. He says, on the surface, Beelzebub was nothing more than a hunk of stone or a chunk of wood shaped perhaps in the form of a fly. But from it emanated all sorts of supernatural, demonic-inspired abilities. And so Ahaziah was going to there for a word. Ahaziah needed a word from the God, but he was settling for a word from a God. And so therefore God stepped in and did so 
quickly. Look at verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal's above the God of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. As these messengers leave the palace, God calls Elijah to intercept them en route to Ekron. Now, Ekron was about 40 miles or so, which is a day and a half or two-day journey from Samaria. Now, we might ask, why did God act so quickly? It's because he wanted to prevent these men from any further exposure to evil. God was giving them and Ahaziah a way out. And God always does that. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 through 14? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14. Here, nearly a thousand years before Paul ever wrote those words in 1 Corinthians, God is doing exactly what Paul says he does. He's providing a way out. And God moves swiftly, sending Elijah to intercept these messengers and to ask them, isn't there a God in Israel who could answer your question? Why are you going off to Ekron? And Elijah acted as quickly as God had prompted he intercepts the messengers on their journey, delivers the message, and the messengers return to King Ahaziah. Since the messengers obviously returned far too soon, Ahaziah asked, verse 5, when the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and tell him, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Well, Ahaziah is intrigued. And I imagine that weird feeling that hits you when you know something is up hit him. And he responds, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this. Have you ever tried to describe someone you saw to someone else? And sometimes you struggle with doing that because in our politically correct day, you, you don't want to sound mean by describing them as fat or old or mousy. And you don't want to seem racist by emphasizing their skin color. And you don't want to seem pompous or judgmental by mentioning their apparent socioeconomical class, whether that's high or low or in between. So what do you do? Well, you, you, you do the best you can to describe what they, they look like. And I found an interesting way to do this. Years ago, I was in high school. Mom was teaching at a, a school in our area. She was a brand new teacher that year. And she was getting to know the teachers and uh, the students were helping her to know who was who. And so uh, the kids were talking about this particular teacher. And uh, mom said, well, well, what's she look like? I don't know her. What's she look like? And they said, a horse. <laughs> and so mom said, okay. And so then uh, they're talking about another teacher and Miss so-and-so. And said, well, mom said, well, well, what's she look like? And they said, a duck. <laughs> now, mom never asked them what they thought she looked like. <laughs> but when she saw those teachers, she went, Oh, sure enough. 
Well, these guys give Ahab a description of what Elijah looked like. Look at verses 8 and 9. They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent the captain off to them. Now, these guys were used to describing people physically. And so they say, oh, king, he was a, he was a scruffy-looking fellow. He was wearing animal hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. And he, he kind of looked like a prophet to us. Well, I got to thinking if they were using mom's student's explanation, they'd say, I look kind of like a bear to us, you know? Well, I want you to go back, though, and notice something. What was Ahaziah's question? It wasn't, what did the man look like? Notice it? Notice the difference? It is, what kind of man was it? What kind of man was it? That's a big difference. We often focus on what a person looks like instead of focusing on what a person is like. The question, what kind of man deserves an answer like great or talented or kind or smart or funny or even scary, but not a physical description. Now, I'm not exactly sure what kind of answer Ahaziah was looking for when he asked that question, but I really think he was expecting something like godly. You see, I have a hunch that when Ahaziah heard the question that this mystery man had asked the messengers, he knew exactly who it was. Because, you see, no doubt Elijah had been a frequent topic of conversation around his parents' supper table. And no doubt Ahaziah had heard his mama Jezebel henpecking his daddy to death every night about that prophet Elijah. So, still though, Ahaziah wanted to be sure. And so he asked, what kind of man was it? Well, Elijah was a godly man. We're about to find out how so. And I want us to read the rest of the story all at once. And as we do, I want you to underline the statement, man of God. Look at verse 9. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God... May fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, May fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. And this third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. 
Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And as for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Now, throughout these verses, we see what it means to be a man of God coming forth. First, a man of God is connected with God. Meaning, a man of God is recognized as such by others. The man is connected with his God. When the three captains and their companies come to Elijah, they all three address him as man of God. They didn't call him anything else, just man of God. Now, true, man of God was a title often used for religious people or prophets, religious leaders. And that is still kind of true even on through our own day. But why is that title attached to prophets and spiritual leaders? It's because we see them as being connected to their God. That there's a relationship with them. They are recognized as people who follow God. So people notice the godly connection. His relationship with God is evident. In Matthew 7, Jesus was teaching about how to recognize a false prophet. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16 and 18... It's by their fruit that you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. True men of God have an intimate walk with Jesus that is seen in their lives. It's evident to those around them. It begins with their salvation when they repent of their sin and turn to Christ initially, but it continues every day as they walk with him. They produce fruit in keeping with righteousness. This week, my oldest son, Zach, and I were doing a a devotional together about what it means to be a man of God, and uh, it emphasized righteous living. And, and I, so I asked Zach the question that was in the devotional, so what does that mean? What does it mean to live righteously? And Zach replied, loving God with your life. And I went, that's about the best description of righteous living I've ever heard. And simple and packed because everything you do, everything you say, everything you think simply shows your love for God. That's righteous Living, a man of God's relationship with the Lord may be private, but it is also potent because it's going to produce results. You can know a man of God by his fruit. Not every godly man is a prophet or a preacher. Not every preacher is a godly man. But every godly man will be surrounded by the fruit of his life with Christ. When a man of God does that, other people take notice. A man of God is connected with God. But also, a man of God is confident in God. The encounter of Elijah with the first two men is almost identical. The first captain says, man of God. The king says, come down. And the second captain says, man of God. The king says, come down at once. He's just a little more intense. 
Elijah's response to the two men, however, is exactly the same. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Now, the if there doesn't mean if. It's not questioning Elijah's status as a man of God. It is a statement of Elijah's confidence in God. It has the sense of, since I am a man of God. Or, you have called me man of God, so let's see what happens here in a second. Because Elijah had confidence in God. Now, guys, let me warn you just a second. Don't try this at home. Some of you are going to think, I'm a man of God. You're going to go out to the golf course with your buddies, and you're going to say, if I am a man of God, may this next swing become a hole in one. And you're going to end up in the water hazard. Some of you are going to go out fishing with your buddies. You're going to say, watch this. If I'm a man of God, this next cast is going to catch the biggest bass either one of us have seen. And you're going to cast, and you're going to lose your most expensive lure and break your rod on the biggest underwater log you'll never see. And that serves you right. <laughs> this is not about testing God. This is about being so confident in God that you know when and how he's going to work in and through you. And that's some serious confidence. Now, none of us are going to start calling down fire on our enemies, as convenient as that might seem. But we can grow confident in our God and in our walk with God. How do you grow in your confidence of your walk with God? Well, you, you walk with God. You keep walking with God. It takes daily work. Our youngest son, Evan, has Down syndrome and epilepsy. And the combination of those two conditions has made it extremely difficult for him to learn to walk, even though he's six years old. But every single day, Evan crawls up to something, and he pulls up, and he stands, and he'll try to take a step or two. But every day, after a moment or a few minutes, he falls on his bottom or he makes the wrong step and does a flip and falls down or he has a seizure that causes him to fall down. But do you know what Evan still continues to do? In a few minutes or the next day, he still crawls up to that same place and he stands up and he tries to move again. Men, we need to be like that in our walk with God. We need to take every opportunity to grow, even if, especially if, we've fallen the day before. We need to be in the Word daily. We need to be in Sunday school and in worship and leading our families to be there as well. And we need to take advantage of other opportunities. In fact, I am more excited than ever about the opportunities for men in our church. For example, last week we had our monthly men's breakfast, and we meet monthly on the second Tuesday of the month and typically every month one of our men typically from our church shares a devotional or shares his testimony and it's a wonderful encouraging and 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 blessed time it's like 30 or 45 minutes at your day but it's really a wonderful time and then this Thursday night at 6 30 we're launching our fall season of man church and uh, if you've ever been to man church you know the blessing that is if you haven't you need to come uh this Thursday night, we have manly food and a manly message. This week, we're having uh, fried chicken and mashed potatoes, I believe, you know? Just carb it up, right? It's good. The wives aren't there. Eat what you want to eat. Uh, 
We have, a, we have a wonderful time. And our focus this fall is going to be on growing yourself and mentoring others. So this, this month, uh, Zach Fleming, our youth minister, and his stepdad, Fred Holt, are going to talk about what that looks like and what that means. And that's going to be a, a wonderful time together starting Thursday night. And then for you youth dads, tonight... Zach is starting a ministry called Manhood Journey to accompany the girls with act teens. And it's a time for the, the youth guys and their dad or one who's like a dad to them can meet together and learn how to train one another in the faith. It's going to be a great time. You need to take advantage of these opportunities, men, and, and to see the Lord do something great, to grow in your confidence with God and your walk with God. Because a man with God is connected with God, and a man of God is confident in God. But third, a man of God is courageous for God. Did you notice how that third captain approached Elijah? It was a lot different than the first two, right? He had sense enough to realize that there was no doubt about the power of God working through Elijah. Now certainly, he probably thought to himself, um, three times is not going to be the charm here. <laughs> But he could also see that his king had set himself up against God and he wanted no part of being set up against God himself. But he had his orders. And so he approaches Elijah with great respect, not just recognizing that Elijah was a man of God, but that he stood in the power of God. And because then of his respectful and humble appeal, the angel of God spoke to Elijah. And look again at what he said in verse 15. Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. Here we see Elijah's courage. Elijah got up and he went down with him to the king. It takes great courage in fact, it takes greater courage to go into the fight yourself than to wait for the fight to come to you. And Elijah goes into the fight. Elijah was the kind of man who becomes a first responder or a, a member of the military. The ones that when everyone else is running away, you're running towards the fight. And Elijah willingly goes with the captain to the king. And arriving, Elijah shows great courage for God because he stands alone before the much younger king who is surrounded, no doubt, by armed guards and warriors. And Elijah pulls no punches in what he says. This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you, for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? And because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. Ahaziah, you need a word from God. And here it is. You are going to die. But notice, the death isn't necessarily a result of the injury. Why is Ahaziah going to die? Because you have consulted a false god. You've run after false gods. You've rejected the true God. It took Elijah a lot of courage to go with a bunch of soldiers into the palace and deliver that kind of message to an evil king. And with the message delivered, what happened? I love verse 17. So he died. Boop. 
Did he drop dead right there? Did he lie around in misery for a few days or weeks and then die? We don't know. We just know that he died according to the word of the Lord. Philip Keller sums it up this way, writing, It was a disastrous conclusion to a dynasty steeped in pagan worship and devilish debauchery. Now I agree. What could have been different if Ahab had repented sooner? Or if, if Ahaziah would have just learned from the mistakes of his parents? Unfortunately, we'll never know. Because all that we know is the destruction that's left in the path of sin and evil. It is truly a man of God who stands courageous for his God. Godly men are willing to face unpleasant conditions, even threatening circumstances, with remarkable resolve. They, they stand up for their faith, even when their faith is attacked. Uh, they make the tough decision for themselves and their families uh, that keep themselves and their families on the right path with God. So the question this morning is, men, are you being courageous for God? Uh, young men, boys, are you being courageous for God? Don't wimp out. Don't run away. Be strong, stand tall, be bold, be courageous. Because a godly man is connected with God. People see it. Because of that relationship, a godly man is confident in God. And then he continues to be courageous for God. I pray that Elijah's tribe will increase. And especially that he'll increase right here. And so because of that, I would like us to go into a season of prayer as we prepare for this time of invitation. Just every head bowed, every eye closed. Draw in a circle around yourself, especially you men. And beginning with, as you're, as you're seeking the Lord there at, at your pew, say, Lord, first, am I truly saved? If... If you were to die today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ because of your relationship with God? If not, then right now in that moment, right with that circle drawn around you, I pray that you would seek the Lord and you'd say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins. I know that I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to be the Lord of my life and I surrender to you right now asking you to come in. And to be my Savior. And the Bible tells us that if we pray a prayer like that. Meaning it in our heart that we will be saved. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. You can't be a man of God if you don't have God in your heart. You can't be a woman of God if you don't have God in your heart. So it begins right there. But then as you look at your life. If, if you are a believer. Are you really connected and confident and courageous for God? Men, are you leading your families as you should? Are you praying for them? Are you setting the example? Are you making God the first priority in your home? Are you, are you saying no to some good things so you can say yes to the best thing? As the Holy Spirit speaks to your life, listen as he points out certain things that may be there that, that you need to adjust. 
And then as you seek the Lord during this time, ask the Lord to help you be sold out and bold and courageous for Him. This morning, we're kneeling at the cross of Jesus. And when we do that and we look up at Him, we see all that He gave for us. And so we can't help but give all of ourselves back to Him. So be obedient to the Lord's call on your life today, maybe for salvation, maybe for some readjustment of priorities, or something else that the Spirit's calling in your life. It may be that, that the way to lead your family is to plug in to a local church, and maybe God's leading you to do that here. We would love to, for you to become a part of our church family. Let's seek the Lord now as we prepare for a time of invitation, asking Him to speak to our hearts and helping us to be obedient. Lord God, we come before you this morning and we ask that in the ways that you have spoken to us, we pray that you would help us to be obedient. God, may we not shy away from stepping up and stepping out for you. That may be for salvation. That may be for a, a deeper commitment. That may be for saying no to some things so we can say yes to some things. But Lord, we pray for the courage to stand up and be strong. Just as you told Elijah, don't be afraid. Speak to us now and encourage our hearts with that word to not be afraid. And we will be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen.